and welcome on in. Enzwell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at protonmail.com. Welcome on in. It's a privilege and a pleasure as always to be in your ears for this episode, which is the first one in almost a fortnight. Yeah, so it's been a um, challenging week or so for myself. Picked up some little bit of a stomach bug or something like that. Just nasty enough, but nothing too major. Just enough to knock you out of your stride and enough to have me uh, taken to the couch for a couple of days. And as a typical male, a typical fella, as most would say, and most of us will be honest, it would make not great patience, but um, the creative joy is up for me when I'm not feeling so well like that. So it was a case of just batting down the hatches, get everything right and get back into the saddle now. And that's what we'll attempt to do. Get you interacting, get you smiling, get you laughing, get you talking. And here's what's coming up. We'll have a look at the boxing news from around the world in general. And I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by Belfast and Holy Trinity middleweight, 6-0 and now as a professional, Cuevin Adjarko. I've tried to run off and grab him. Keith has pulled me and gave me a hug and just whispered in my ear and said, Keep your face is in a really bad way. And I knew the only way to be the best version of me was to be coached by Mickey Hoggins and... and be kind of a teacher's pet, be, be Mickey's favourite. We'll have rumours, gossip, comebacks and all the rest, and lots more. So COVID-19, phase one recovery. How is that going? How is, what do people make of it? It's very strange for very, I suppose, speaking from a personal point of view, which is all I can really do, once the gravity of the whole virus and epidemic set in and and registered with my it it became quite comfortable it became just I won't say normal but it just became what I have to do to survive and to to keep going and uh, as the numbers unfurled and as all the information was laid out every day taken fast by everybody everywhere um, it became just as I said keep the head down and keep going so after 11-12 weeks of of sticking to it and I gotta be honest I did stick to it pretty rigidly and I I left when I had to leave and didn't stray too far as a case of having to. I'm cautious right now. I'm wary. And if I'm, tell- if I'm telling the brutal truth, I'm reluctant to believe that just yet, just yet, that this thing is gone. Because if I can be blunt and if I can be, excuse the French, this thing is a mindfuck. It's not, it's as much cerebral as it is a physical, as as much as it is an attack on all the senses and everything else. It's... People don't seem to know when they're carrying it. When they're carrying it, they don't know how it's going to affect them or if it's going to affect them. Countries think they're cleared. Countries think it's gone. Then it's back. Then it's gone. It's back again. And then just today now we're seeing second waves in the likes of Wuhan with 100 million people locked down yet again. Whilst we have fools in Dublin protesting to be released, as they call it, or in in the UK or in America or Italy, or they want their, their choices back. So here's your choices. Live or die. Take or leave them. But don't be dragging the rest of us down with you. Amateur dramatic, amateur dramatics don't appeal to me. They don't interest me. Statements of releases and freedom and everything else on anti-social media. It's just pathetic, to be honest. It, it, it grates and it bores very quickly. And I suppose if I could offer advice or, or the advice that I will heed is to finish this as strong as we did 
carry it out. The decent ones carried it out. Finish it strong. Nail this thing for once and be done with that term, COVID-19 forever. Before I get into the news and what's happening and what's not and comebacks and all those rumours, just wanted to give a, a mention to a, a message I got from Bad Boy Benny. And he messaged me not, I suppose, about it's a little over a week, a little under a week ago now, about five days, and was saying how couldn't understand or, or how or what do I do to stay so positive all the time and how it's not um most people seem to be struggling and seem to and and I, I had a good conversation and a good back and forth and it was um I'd want wanted to make it very clear now in case I, I was coming across in the wrong way. Whilst I do always put across a positive attitude and I do try and approach things from a positive point of view, it wouldn't be real or honest of me to say that I'm hon- pro- that I'm going around happy and positive all the time. And that there's times when you're putting forward that positive attitude and you're 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 taking a positive and you're looking at no matter how bad things are going and you're you're looking at you might be trying to take that positive approach but it doesn't always mean you're happy when you're doing it as well so sometimes there are days where shit's going sideways you, you did you woke up on the wrong side of the bed whatever the case may be you woke up on the couch <laughs> wherever and uh, whatever but it's whatever you do to try and get yourself out of it i guess is what it is for me and that's i i just I would hate to misconstrue, I would hate to mislead anybody by thinking this lad's going around in great form all the time. I do like to try that all the time, as we all do. And for the most part, I think I do. But as is, it's just key that to realise as well, it is it is important that when you're not feeling great or when you're having one of those days or when you and you're trying everything you can, try it with a smile on the face and listen to the music, do whatever it is you can. And understand that there's nobody, nobody out there that is any different. So anything we can do at any point along the way to help, always will. But I just wanted to address that in case anyone was thinking this is some sort of a postman pat-like character who, who is just constantly, it, it's as tough here as it is for me, as it is for anybody else. So keep fighting it, keep believing it. We're almost there. One of the many noticeable things over this isolation period and lockdown from a TV point of view and entertainment it's kind of come to the fore which presenters and hosts and personalities or lack thereof have 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 shone and and who have i guess used packed guest lists and noisy audiences and crowds to hide behind and make themselves look and come across a lot better than they really are um a couple of the household names in particular that I've seen which I wouldn't watch too many of those particular shows but I have seen one or two which you kind of look at and think, hmm, yeah, not so good at all, really. And then some of them have really come to the fore. Some of them have really, really, really outdone themselves. And and one in particular that I have to say is Match of the Day. I really have enjoyed the format, the simplicity of it, uh, albeit with a lack of poor football. But they get to look back over the really quality years and the personalities in particular shine and come through. And that's what it's been about for me, to be honest, from those looking at those traits and looking at those standpoints, the imagination uh, comes comes to the front and allows the real talent to, to show what's what. And speaking of talent and speaking of coming to the fore and, sp- and, and when we think of podcasting and entertainment and pioneering, uh, a story that broke in the last couple of days was about Joe Rogan signing a massive, massive contract with Spotify. And the news emanated, as I said, about this I, I think the figures that are talking about it, they're astronomical. They're talking somewhere up in the, the high millions. and But there again, if anybody is to earn, command, or deserve such figures for podcasting and entertainment, well then let Joe Rogan be the one. Because he's the pioneer of podcasting. He's the one 
who most, if not all of us, have listened to at some point, um, starting out or constantly. And it's brilliant to see, I hope, he manages to throw off some of those editorial shackles that have been placed around him in the last while. And people have seen, people that have been watching and listening to him from the start would notice there was a change along the line. Lots of conspiracy theories and stories as to what and how and who may have got to him and why. But I believe a lot of it would be just coming from a production standpoint, editorial standpoint, and a monetization standpoint that the likes of YouTube and all those are, have, their days are, are, their days are very much numbered. The competition is now rampant up and the days of being able to dictate to creators and talent is over. So congrats to Joe Rogan and the team and everybody involved in it. Congrats to the real entertainers out there who have come to the fore over the last few weeks and months. And congrats to those who are going to make it even better over the next few. And if we're going to talk about pioneering and we're going to talk innovative and we're going to talk fresh, we have to kind of bring it boxing relevant and all the way back around to Eddie Hearn. And he's clearly taken a lot of inspiration and motivation from what Dana White and the UFC have done over the last few weeks. When he came to the boxing scene, first he took all those fresh ideas and and a new approach and planning to some of the events that took boxing from the small hall shows all the way up to Wembley Stadium. And his latest idea is what he calls Fight Camp, where he plans to host a 28-day fight bonanza at the Matchroom headquarters, his former family home. It's a 15-acre site in Essex. And some of the, amongst the plans he has to make this uh, a boxing extravaganza in a time when there's, there is no boxing. Uh, they look, some of the bullet points they are is to transform the site into a fully functioning boxing venue for that 28 days. There'll be strictly limited crew with masks and all sanitary precautions. They'll restrict the corners to three. They will have 10 fights per card, fully quarantined hotel, which will be where the fighters and their team will be tested on arrival and monitored throughout their stay. All the media and pressers and everything else will be done via Zoom or similar such platforms. And what fights are we likely to see on these cards over the 28 days? Some of the biggest ones that we're likely likely to get and hoping to get, Dillian White versus Alexander Povetkin for a WBC interim title, Natasha Jonas versus Terry Harper for the world title, an all-British affair, Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, they're hoping to get over the line there. And we're likely to see a good skill, a good sprinkling of Irish fighters with not too many available to travel who, are, who aren't already over there. So we could see the likes of James Tennyson versus uh, Gavin Gwynn. We could see Jason Quigley against Jack Cullen. We're likely to see on other lads we might see on the card, TJ Dohany, Tommy McCarthy, John O'Carroll, all tipped to feature at some point. The finer details will definitely become more apparent over the coming days. And whens, whos, wherefores and whats, all of that will be cleared up. And it's fitting to see the man who did, we have to be honest, inject an awful lot of life and a new release of life into the sport and made him into more fan-friendly occasions to see him come back now again and reinvigorate the sport, which I suppose, if we're being honest, uh, he did leave for the last 12 months or so as he, he jetted across to the States with the big deals over there with his own and everything else, so... Watch that space. It's going to be a very, very special show. Big, big news. And it's big news for a number of reasons. In boxing, world boxing terms, Irish boxing terms, and from a personal standpoint. There's, of course, the announcement this week of Dennis Hogan and teaming up with his new head coach, Wayne McCullough. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret here, and there'll be a separate episode coming out in the next day or so. I was very, very lucky, privileged, and still somewhat unsure of how managed to put the lads together for this and I was a big part in the lads ironing and out and putting together this team. 
So, as I said, we'll have the two of them on over the next day or so to have a chat. But it's been a, an exciting couple of days. It's been hard to keep it under the hat and looking forward to watch it unfold. Now, the reaction around the boxing world has been phenomenal, as you would expect. Two very special fellas who I believe now will go on to complete a very special journey. Have a look at some of the news that's been going around boxing circles over the last few days and weeks. There's been nothing but talk about comebacks. It all started with a rumour of an offer for Mike Tyson to fight Shannon Briggs in the bare knuckle fighting. And then there was talk of Big John Fury. And then, of course, Evander Holyfield joined in. Who's next? Who knows? For me, I don't want to see these guys do it again. I think they've had their day. I think they've given us so many memories. They've got their legacies already. They've got nothing left to prove. Money and everything else aside, I think, at a time, they just, it, let, let it live. Let it be. Just let it be. I don't want to see it come back. I don't want to see them tarnish. I don't want to see anybody else try and make a name off their backs. Wouldn't surprise me to see one or some of them involved in the fight camp uh, event in England because Hearn is a genius at that. Should he be able to get them there? But who knows? But for me, no. I don't want to see it because... There's just too many special memories and too many special fights and legacies tied up in all of them for one reason or another. And just something I'm watching, and this I might be wrong on this, this it's, it's not really news, it's just something from a personal... <clears throat> it's just something I'm watching closely myself, is the, from an Irish point of view, featherweight, super featherweight division. Watch them over the next few weeks. Shakur Stevenson has announced that he's likely to move up for his next fight, which then will vacate his title. It puts him... And that vacant title, it allows Mick Conlon possibly then to fight for a vacant title against who? Don't know. Don't know. And Adam Booth has been vocal over the last couple of days that it could be a domestic opponent. Who does that leave? Who would that be? I, I don't want to start speculating at the moment because there's just too many in and around that division. But it also makes it interesting then. The plan was originally, I believe, for, Ka- for Carl Frampton and Michael Conlon to box on the Falls Park card. That looks to have been revised now. It could be behind closed doors show. Who will fight who? I'm not suggesting for a minute they'll fight each other. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But they're both firing. It could go. Who knows what way it's going to play out. It just it, There's got a lot of domestic. There's a lot of fighters in and around super featherweight, featherweight, around Belfast, around the UK. And they wouldn't be the hardest fights in the world to make. Should they be for a WBA or WBO title then at the same time? It makes it all the more interesting. So just watch that division. Watch the run- runners and riders, the movers and shakers over the next couple of days. When Cuivin Diarco turned professional in 2019, he had reached the summit of the amateur sport, in- nationally and internationally. And he started his pro career in, in the same devastating format. I jumped into this conversation with Cuivin asking, what is it that he thinks is behind the incredible amount of top-level boxers coming out of Belfast? Um, I think just growing up, um, a lot of people in Belfast there's not much things to do other than other than do some sort of sports. Um, so a lot of people would have played Gaelic or or hurling um, growing up, and and then a lot of people would have played or would have joined a boxing club. So um, I think that's where it come from. And people from me just growing like the way the way I got into boxing was that my uncle used to box, so um, I was then put into boxing just to. To show me where my uncle oh, used to train and, and he used to box for Holy Trinity, obviously. So I was brought to brought to Holy Trinity and um, showed where he, where he fought. And just from there, I, I just loved it and put, put a pair of gloves on. And, and 16, 17 years later, I've never looked back. So I think, um, I think 
Ireland and Belfast and Barcelona. Obviously, Ireland were, were all known as the fighting Irish, so it's kind of something that stuck with us over hundreds of years, and uh, a lot of people take great pride in Belfast for, for being fighters. So, obviously, with the troubles, um, Belfast was in a, uh, in a bad place back in the 60s, 70s, the 80s, and um, just to, just to see how, how well um, Belfast has done since then is, is unbelievable. Um, obviously, uh, the, the communities come come together a lot a lot more um, and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, um, I've I've always said Belfast is what is one of the best places on the surf. Um, I I love it and it's uh it's it's certainly for me a place that um I feel feel at peace or something. Mm. I like I I've traveled I've traveled the world for boxing and uh I've been to America, Russia, all over the world and and I've always said there's no place like Belfast. Just in case anyone's not familiar, and, and there's a lot of people listening lately that uh, haven't been in the past, Cuevin grew up in amateur boxing here, and many might, re- if you're looking them up or you're Googling them, it would be Cuevin Hines, or, and Cuevin, for anyone out of Ireland, is Irish for Kevin. So, just to set that picture, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your um, Irish Ghanaian, and you grew up in West Belfast, and, and how was all that for you, Cuevin? Actually, I was born in London, and lived there until uh, I, was, I was seven years old. Um, my mum's from Belfast, so we we moved back to Belfast when I was seven. Um, I I grew up in in West Belfast. Um, so it was, it was kind of, kind of um different for me. Um, being a mixed race kid with an English accent. Um, which I don't have now. Um, with an English accent, going going up in in the heart of West Belfast, especially whenever no 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 longer than ten years prior that the troubles had just stopped and stuff like that. So, um. It was it was very different for me and and stuff like that, but uh, I had a good upbringing. Um, I had, I had a I had a good childhood and and stuff like that. Obviously, I joined Boss Number Seven seven years old, and um, it's been a been a good journey ever since. You just became Quiven then, didn't you? That, that it's your home. Wayne always tells me that of all the things that went on in Belfast and all the things he saw and heard between religious and and differences and everything else, races and racism wasn't everything. Feel free to answer this or not, whatever way you think. But was it something you ever encountered? Um, yes, of course. It, it was something I encountered um, growing up. There wasn't a lot of it. Though I, um, I didn't grow up with um, getting bullied over racism or anything like that. Uh, I, I got a nine again. Um, very, very, very rarely would I have ever got it. But everybody knew me as the boxer. So I think um, that kind of played a part in nobody really wanted to be racist towards me but not not very I, I got it once or twice in school um growing up and um now and again on the street but it, it wasn't very common for me to um be racially abused or anything like that um yeah. growing up. and listen there's questions here that there's nothing anyway controversial or anything else but if it makes yeah. you comfortable or uncomfortable in any way i just want to make sure but i always smile especially when the lad's trying to in ifl and they're trying to pronounce your name a bigger smile comes from you wear it. It's just you, isn't it? That's what you are, and that's who you are. And in boxing, the identity is almost as important as the the talent. Yeah, like um, I've, I've an Irish first name and Danny and Seth name, keep keeping a Jocko. And do you know what? I'm 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 proud of who I am, and I'm I'm proud to be um a black Irishman. Uh, so um, so you should be, my friend. You're in a rich line of it. My my good pal Francie Lazoho says he's going to be the first black Irishman to win a world title, and up until this interview. I haven't had anyone to argue with him, so... But you know what, there's a lot of um, 
um, a lot of like boxers in the um in the community now. Um, like you've you've got Tommy McCarthy, who's obviously yeah. paving the way at the moment. He's he's just on the brink of of world level. And I, listen, I I wish Tommy the best, and, and I I hope he goes on to win a world win a world hell. But yeah. um, my dream and my goal is to become the the first black Irish person to win a win a world hell, and it, it always has been. Um, I want to create history, and I I want to be remembered for that. So, uh, that's something that that I will achieve. There's there's no mm. doubt about that. I I will achieve that. Whether Tommy does it first or not, I will be a world champion. But um, there is like you've got Gabriel Dawson, or Dawson and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of a lot of people, a lot of competition I've got. Um, but listen, I hope we all make it. I hope we we all become world champions, and we're all at the top of the sport at at some stage in our career. A lot of lads grew up in the Floyd era and talking smack, but there's something when you say that, I've seen you and heard you say this before about being a... There, there's no doubt, and, and I'll speak to Francis, Francis Warren tomorrow, it's very rarely promoters at that stature go out on a limb to say what you said there, and is there a danger holding you back or bringing an extra pressure, or do you bring more pressure to yourself than anybody else can? Um, no, not really. Um, I've all, like, I, don't, I don't focus on pressure. Um, I know how good I am. I know what I'm capable of, and as long as I stay dedicated and and focused, I know I'll, I'll be at the top of the sport. So there is no yeah. pressure. Um, obviously there is pressure for, for me to do well. Like I, I, um, I always, I'm, I'm, I'm really hard on myself. I'm always hard on myself to to do well. But um, if you're not, then then you won't go far. Um, yeah. you've got to be, you've got to be hard on yourself. You got to push yourself to the limit. So there is the pressure from me, but I don't feel pressure from anybody else or any added pressure um, to, to do well. The discipline side of it, was that always in you or can I go as far as to say that working with the likes of Mickey and the lads up there, it becomes second nature to you? Yeah, um, of course. Like, um, growing up, uh, when, when all your friends were, are out and, and doing whatever they're doing, out in the streets playing football or doing what whatnot, enjoying themselves, you, you don't want to be really stuck in a gym um, training or losing weight. And it's hard, but as you grow up, um, you know you kind of understand why you're doing it and, and what the reasons are for, and that's to that's to achieve and be successful in life. Uh, obviously, growing up in Holy Trinity, um, I learned dedication off my like province. Um, he he t- he's taught me a lot, like I've said, but uh, he, it's Mickey's one of them people that you're either in it or you're not. If yeah. you're gonna be half-hearted about it, then he doesn't want you in the gym. He'll not give you any of this time. So I kind of had to realize at a young age that if I did want want to achieve and and be successful, that I would have to do it Mickey's way, kind of, mm. and and be dedicated, put the hard work in, and 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 stuff like that. And 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 I knew the only way to be the best version of me was to be coached by Mickey Hawkins and and be kind of a teacher's pet, be be Mickey's favorite. So. I would have to try. I would. I would do all I, I could to try and yeah. impress him, and and train as hard as I could to impress him. So, uh, I would say that Mickey has taught me a lot about mm. being dedicated and and stuff like that. For you to say to become the teacher's pet with Mickey Hawkins, that does not come easy because Mickey Hawkins dry. He knows more than any how important it is for you guys to do things and do them right now. As he says, what is it he says? Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Am I right in yeah, saying a that? Lot of, a lot of people say, a lot of people say, per, uh, practice makes perfect, but that's completely wrong. And that's a quote that he's always used. Perfect practice makes perfect. Yes. And, and 
he'll even question himself and say, "Well, how can you get? How can you know what he's perfect?" But if you under, if you understand Mickey, you'll understand the phrase that um, you can you can practice something a million times, but you could be practicing it wrong. So perfect practice makes perfect. Yeah, you have to be doing something right. To, to make it perfect, you know what yeah, I mean? So, and and see the way he does it, and and I'm not I'm not blowing bubbles by saying this. It made such a massive impression on me being up there with him that day. Every coach has their own way of doing things. Some need to shout and ball, some don't. But it was the way he'd stop for school boxing, he'd pull the lad across and teach them. There was something very special when you think about what the man has done and his his impact on Irish boxing. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think Mickey's um, an unbelievable coach. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today in my career. I wouldn't be where I am today in life, sorry, um, if, it, if it wasn't for Mickey. But um, he uh, he he's an un- unbelievable coach, and he's just he's one of a kind. And I, I feel like he doesn't get the recognition or the not that he would want it, but the recognition or the the respect that yeah. certain others get in the boxing world as coaches that than than Mickey does. Um, because he's done so much for um. Irish boxing, it's it's unbelievable what he's done for Irish boxing. Not even Irish boxing, but boxing and and also in Antrim and and stuff like that. He, he's did so much for, and um, he's he's a credit to the sport. He's unbelievable. He's, he's one of the hardest working coaches I've I've ever seen. And I've I've been obviously on the Irish squad. I've been a professional now for nearly two years and stuff like that. And he 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 works harder than than most fighters that I've seen. Yeah, there's not a day that if if Mickey's not in the gym, then you know there's something up or there's something really there's something that he has to attend there's something there because he would put off <laughs> i would say Mickey would put off his own wedding to be in the in the boxing gym returning kids at night yeah can i be a bit cheeky here and ask uh did, did you were you successful in becoming the teacher's pet <laughs> i was i was you know what i would uh I would, I would say that um i would say that i i was successful in being very close to Mickey and, and being people a lot of people ended up calling me the, the golden ball or the um, golden balls in 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 Holy Trinity, because uh, I I was so close with Mickey and I uh, and um I I just love being taught by him. I just mm. like being, I mean, nah, me and Mickey were far from a perfect uh, relationship. We we had our ups and downs and our fights, but we always found a way back to each other. And, it's and respect, Quaven. It's respect. You yeah. you're a, you're a respectful kid. From your point of view, when did it become apparent, or did it just happen unknown to you that? Boxing was a little bit more than something you like to do. It was more than a hobby. There, there was a there was a big future in this, and and if not a, a big future, a possibility of one. Um, I think once I hit about fourteen, um, I kind of realised a lot about boxing. Growing up, I, obviously I boxed since I was seven. So from from seven to fourteen, um, which is seven years, I I kind of I was on and off with boxing the first couple of years of of boy one boy two i didn't really want to fight i always played football um but then whenever i got to i think it was the end of boy two i kind of i think it was mickey or some one of the other coaches maybe peter brady was like right you're gonna enter this competition see how you go blah 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 so i i entered it and i i always from a young age i just loved fighting um but whenever i got got to 14 i can't i went to the world europeans and i won my first national title and i was like i i've got a talent yeah i could if I work hard enough, I can I can achieve something like this. So boxing from that age of 14, 13, 14, boxing was always my number one priority, and it was always something that I knew I was going to be a professional boxer, and I knew I was going to be a world champion. So um, I've achieved one of my goals in in becoming a professional boxer, becoming uh, a senior champion as a, as an amateur and stuff like that. 
So my the next goal, obviously, long term goal is become a, a world champion. But um, I kind of I realized that at a very young age of thirteen, fourteen, that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I'm smiling here, right? And as I say this again, and you'll know I picked this up from listening intently to the master himself. Um, by one, by two, by three. And I won't say they don't mean anything, but Mickey's view to me was he wants you guys winning when you get to senior. He wants you guys winning when you get to the very top. Yeah. And I hope you're smiling as I say this because he, the whole view was what they do at that age really is about getting the things, getting the essentials right. And looking at your style today, it just it's it's almost like the teacher's pet is is just showing the rest of the world, and I mean this in a good way. This is this is what he meant. Is that right? Is that a fair fair analysis almost? Yeah, one hundred percent. Because I was I was that kid that boy one, boy two, boy three, boy four. I wasn't great. I wasn't the I wasn't always the most talented or the the naturally gifted kid. I just had to work hard to be where where I got to. And Mickey always told me because whenever I started running tails, a boy boy what was it? boy I won my first national boy four so boy four and then every year after that I won a national tails so I thought I was Jack the lad I thought I'm winning tails and I, I would uh, act, not act a big lad in, in the gym or think I was better than anyone but I w- would always both be proud of what I, I had achieved but Mickey always would tell me that that it is great doing what you're doing now it's great winning these tails and it's great representing your country and doing what you're doing but you have to stay dedicated and yeah. focused till senior level and when you reach senior level, when whenever you win a title, a, a national senior title at senior level, that's when it matters most. You can win as many titles as you want as a, as a juvenile, youth, a junior, but they they mean nothing until you until you get hit senior level and you and you start producing that them same titles at at senior level. And he's completely right. Um, yeah. I've seen I've seen a lot of boxers when when from boy one to under eighteen level. When every national title, and as soon as they hit senior level, they get beat. And the 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 kid that beat them is the kid that never won a title growing mm. up, coming up from boy one to to um to senior level. So it is definitely definitely something that's always stuck with me. That is that once you hit all them titles, you can win as many titles as you want as a as a as a youth and stuff. But once you get to senior level, and that's where it, it really matters. Very rarely you'll see an amateur fighter where you look at them and you'll say, oh my God, pro straight away. You were Good one, Carl was one. Um, one of my other f- fa- favourite fighters was Darren Sutherland. You look at them and you think, absolutely get him in a pro ring straight away. And um, is that a style that comes really easy and natural to you or did you practice hard to make this style that you have right now? Um, obviously, I, I practice very hard to to have the style that I have now, 100%. Um, one of the things that Mickey taught me was that he wanted me to be a universal boxer. He didn't want me to be one-dimensional. Yeah. He wanted me to be able to be an aggressive fighter when needs be, but also be a very clever counter-puncher and, and back backwards fighter when I needed to be. So that's something that we, we worked on a lot. Um, for my my amateur career is being able to go forward, go back, go side to side, and and just fortunate enough that it was it was fitting for a pro style. Um, my my body shape and and size and strength just was was suitable for the pro rank, and mm. with the help of Mickey and stuff and all the coaches at the gym, it it developed my skill set. Um, I'm going to get to your style in a minute because again, I'm conscious that there's a lot of people. 
a lot of people will be new to the to even boxing over the last few weeks. We have to give a big shout out as well to one of the most lovable rogues I've met in a long while um, and, and one of your sparring partners for a long time. And people are going to raise their eyebrows when they hear this. Uh, Louise was, was one of your sparring partners and she, by her own words, was, until he just got too fucking strong on. <laughs> it was, again, something that just became normal to you, wasn't it? Just spar with yes. Lou and, and, and your, your great pals. 100% um, Louise Walsh and, and um, a dad, Drew Welsh, are, are two unbelievable people and, and they would do anything for anyone. Um, Louise is actually the person who taught me to skip. Um, she, she was, I could never skip and she, she was the one who taught me to skip. So, um, obviously she played a part in my career. I, I grew up sparring her and, and stuff like that until she said I was just too big and strong. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, that's what I mean. Like in, in, in Holy Trinity, it was, a, it was like a family. Mm. Uh, you had you had men, you had women, you had Protestant Catholic, yeah. um, someone like me who was mixed race, white, black. Do you know what I mean? So there was a mixture of everything. But Mickey didn't care about that. Mickey no. just wanted to produce champions. It didn't. No, there was no. There was no. Oh, he can't come in here because he's Protestant or because he's black or because he's this or that or anything like that or because she's a, a a girl. It was just simply to improve. Get children off the street, improve them as as um fighter or as fighters, and um, make a better life for them. I just got lost for the two hours I was there. I just got totally wrapped up in the history, the heritage, a part of what was there, and 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 I think anyone that knows their boxing to be in and around it and to see the names and to see the mural on the wall and, and even the layout of the club it's almost made for a movie, you know. Again, to skip all the cliches, there's a lot of. It's almost a double-edged sword because with those highs when you win and the exhilaration and everything else, there's also that other side of it. And, and, and when when things aren't going for you or when you're working on a particular period of your game or, or maybe just you're not boxing well or whatever the case, I'm not even moving on to the, to the attack or anything else yet, but I'm talking about how bad is it when you're on a bad patch or when you're having a loss or when, when just you're working, working, working on something? Is that where the value, again, of a good coach comes or is that where the strength of character comes? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, both plays a part. You have to be a, a a great character and strong character in yourself. Um, and know what you want to keep on going. And obviously, you have to have a great coach there to to push you on and and correct the wrongs. Um, with me, I, there was a one stage in my career. I think it was, I mean, I was maybe sixteen, seventeen. Um, I was robbed, blind, in in the uh, in. The, <laughs> Rob Bland in the, in the qualifiers for the, um, the World Championships, uh, I won the tournament and ended up having to have a box-off. And um, unfortunately, it, I just didn't get the decision. But after that, there was two free fights. And, and it was the first time in my career I had lost that fight and I had lost another one or two um, fights back-to-back. And it, it was it was the first time in my career that had ever happened. And I was, I was, I was, I remember thinking to myself, saying, what am I doing this for? Like, like I'm, I'm clearly not good enough or this this is the end i remember saying to myself if i lose my next fight i will never box again and i got beat by joyce and and obviously in the in the box off for the world championships and then got beat by a guy called Anna delaney i was beating a split decision uh it was ireland versus england so it was like two or three back-to-back split decisions i just thought nothing is going my way i was flying out to america um to fight against florida um in two weeks' time, and I remember saying to myself, "If I lose this fight, I, I will never box again." And unfortunately enough, I, I won it. <laughs> so uh, that explains why I'm still I'm still boxing. But 
you do, you go through these rough rough patches in your career, and um, things don't go right for you. But it's it's that's where your character shows and and shows. Do you really want it? Do you know what I mean? Do, is is this what you really want? And this is what I want. I want it to be a boxer, and I, and with uh, with boxing, it comes comes the the ups and downs and the highs and the lows, and and um. You just have to you have to claim that bridge and, and get over it and just move on to the next phase of the of your career. When those two or three back to back losses were coming, even was over the space of what maybe two months or so? Would it be as an amateur? Yeah, I would, yeah, I'd say it was a couple months. It was maybe three four months. Yeah. And and did you find again? Was it when you're in the gym or when you're working on it or when you're able to get it into get into your your office as we call it your your comfortable zone, which is the gym or the ring. It helps you get it away, but is it safe to say that the, the the lowest and the worst parts are when you're out of the gym and you're having the rest or whatever else? Is that when it gets most uh, at its at, at its worst? Yeah, I'd say when you're out of the gym, um, it would be when it when it's at at, at its worst. But for me, it was from going from just winning the the under eighteen national title to I was meant to I went to Russia and I had lost I had won and then I that that was the other loss. I beat the European silver medalist, and then I got beat for a medal against um, Uzbekistan, and I, uh, I, I had then been then come home to be told that I had to box off to go to a world championship when I should have been sent anyway. I got beat in the in the, in, uh, the box off, which was a very bad decision. I then got beat against England, so that was three three losses back to back. But for me, it was from go- going. From going to the world championships and potentially qualifying for the youth, youth Olympics, which was a dream as for mine, to then being no nothing, being fighting for nothing and a, back and to a square one almost. Back, yeah, back to square square one almost, and it's like, what, what's next? Like, what am I doing this for? Like, my dream of going to the youth Olympics is is crushed. I can't, I can never do that anymore because once you pass eighteen, you, you can't go. Um, that's when that's when character kicks in and, and you realize what you're doing it for and, and why you're doing it. And, that what one thing that played in my mind is that I won't let the people like that's that's what they were doing it for. Like they they want you to lose, they want you to give up and stuff like that. And I just I would never ever give up, and that's what kind of spurred me on to continue to to improve and and win more titles. And thankfully, I, I'm I'm glad I did that. And um, it's led me to where I am now, being a professional boxer. There's a lot of Irish boxers leave an amateur career behind and they'll feel unfulfilled and they'll use that to drive them on into their pro career and some will use it it'll almost become a crutch as an excuse for everything else I think it's safe to say by the time you came to your end of your career you did everything there was to do in Ireland to win international tournaments and to stand on that podium how special is it what, what does it like, is there words for it there's no words for it um, there, to be able to represent your country alone is something special um, I've I've been fortunate enough to be able to rep my, represent my country, the the world's Europeans, multi nations, but I've also been able to captain my country, um, at, at tournaments and and there there is no word for that. You just feel great pride and being I'm very proud of being able to achieve that. Um, like I I like I've always said I, I'm I'm very proud to be who I am and where mm-hmm. I'm from and to be just to be Irish alone. And represent Ireland at, at tournaments. It, it's unbelievable. And there is no, there is no word, um, words for it. And I'm still continuing to do it. I want, I want to, I want to be a world champion. I want to be the first black Irish world champion. And I want to be. I represent Ireland every time I step into that ring. And yeah. it's it's something that um it kind of fights with me. I'm 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 proud to be Irish. And I'm proud to 
corruption are. The next part of this interview that anyone hasn't heard of, and again, I want to be respectful to you here, and there's a big part of your journey so far is that you're still boxing and that you're not only still boxing but that you're still here with us is it okay to talk about the attack and what happened with you of course it's part of the story and it's something i'll never i'll never shy away from no matter how much i uh not that i don't like talking about it but um no matter how much that i don't have to talk about it and stuff mm. like that it's a part of my story and and um it, it, it is what it is. So I know, watched it the other day for the very first time, Kevin, and when I actually saw the footage, I think it was Quifa put it the other day, um, the video of it, and I just thought, oh my fucking God. What I'm what I'm alluding to here is, again, for anyone that's not familiar, is Quiven was um, on, the, on a little bit of a break. Back, I suppose you can tell us. You were on a little bit of a... Uh, you were relaxing a little bit, taking the handbrake off before another big competition, and you take it from there and tell me how it went. I think it was the... It was the 1st of May. Um, I had just won the... The, um, a very tough tournament out in, out in Paris, um, the Montana Belt, uh, a week prior to that, it was on the 24th of April. Uh, I'd just come home. Um, I was out with my girlfriend. We weren't drinking. We were out kind of celebrating, but we weren't drinking because I had to fight against America a week after. And um, we were out just enjoying ourselves, left the club early, and, and when, when I went round to McDonald's to get some food. Um, unfortunately, there was a large group of lads that, that were looking for a fight and, and one thing led to another and I ended up getting getting stabbed and um, and an, an inch from death. But Any any fella or anybody that's ever been in an altercation like that, your your adrenaline kicks in, your your survival kicks in and it's about your, your amped, you're hyped and everything else. And do you normally, if it didn't really hit, but you thought you had just had a, a scratch or you thought you had just had a nick. Is that right? My girlfriend had obviously uh, tried to break things up, and um, uh, she had obviously noticed that I had been stabbed. So she had told me, she had said to me, Kevin, what, what, what the fuck's happened to your yeah. face? I had said, obviously me being a boxer, knowing that I've been punched, um, there's a, there's, I'm fighting about 30 people, and I'm on my own. I Just let me at him. Where is he? Yeah, I knew that I've been punched. I might have a bruise. I'm a boxer, and I know these things happen so I thought maybe I have a small cut or a bruise on my face um, I've tried to run off and grab him Keith has pulled me and gave me a hug and just whispered in my ear and said Keith your face is in a really bad way I've pushed her off, off me to obviously go back and get Bennings and I've noticed that there's blood all over her so I've kind of freaked out and said like what, what what's happened to you like what's wrong like why why is the blood on you and she just looked at me and said that's that's not my blood, Kevin. I've looked down and I'm obviously covered in blood. My whole t-shirt is is drenched in blood. So, and still at that point, the 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 enormity of it really hadn't struck. I mean, you you were in that, like as you said, as a boxer, you're used to the taste. You're only you're used to seeing cuts and everything else. Yeah. It's, it's but again, and and I'm I'm a little bit awkward talking about it because it's it's a horrendous when you see the after and you see how close it was and for anyone again that's not familiar it went from just below Queen's ear on the I think it's on the right side was it and then went below down across and was within I too close to I don't want to speculate but it was too close for comfort to um to be yeah, fatal um, yeah on the left side of my face um, from from just just where my the top of my ear is right down to to an inch from my main artery in my in my throat so um, that's, that's how close we got to death but like I say I'm still here I'm blessed yeah. Blessed to still be here and, and and thankful at that as well. Yeah, 
and uh, your, your post the other day with uh, again we'll bring it back around and we'll bring it positive because I don't feel comfortable talking about it I love the photo of yourself and Mickey sitting chatting or whatever there's no doubt words of wisdom being shared but with that yeah. bandage and, and again the importance of, of we we have to give Kreef a shout out your, your, your beautiful girlfriend who must have been living it with you and, and probably dare I say a little bit worse from her point of view yeah of course um, she was she she um she was stuck in the middle of it all and uh it's not it's not something it's not nice for somebody to to see that especially at, at a young age like she, at the time i was 20 she was 17 so for her to see her partner getting stabbed and and stuff like that it's it's not nice but no. listen, we, we we overcome it and and thankfully i've i've went on to um you did you recovered that you, you beat that which would be enough for most most of us normal humans would get us down for a while feel sorry for ourselves but you bounce back and go and win an international. <laughs> just, just another typical Kevin trade, isn't it? Anyone that knows me knows that it, it would take a lot to to hold me down and, and keep keep me back. Um, just in, in even in general, like in the ring, I've always says if anyone's ever to beat me in a in, in a boxing in a boxing ring to um if I was to ever be dropped or anything like that, you you would need me nail me to the ground because I will get back up and that's that's facts and that just kind of shows my character and, and the person I am. Mm-hmm. Um, that no matter what life throws at me, um, I always will come back and and achieve what I what I, what I've set out to achieve. All this that we've talked about with you in the last half an hour, you'd be forgiven to thinking, Creven is what thirty odd years of age and he's coming to the toilet. You're still only fucking twenty one, and all this has happened in the space of what, three or four years. So you've overcome the worst. You've had the highs, but safe to say the best is 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 right around the corner, isn't it? Um, I'm 23 years old now. I'm 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 still a young pup uh, in the, in the Baltimore land anyway. So obviously I've I've been through I've been through a, a lot in life. I've been through a lot in boxing and, and stuff like that. But 100% the, the best is yet to come, and um and you will you will see that that the best is yet to come, and, and how good I am and what I can can achieve. Yeah, we've touched on the start, we've touched on the middle, and I want to talk about the style now. You're comfortable on the back foot scarily comfortable on the back foot which is unusual you're eye catching when you go forward you're not just like a lot of people were, were surprised at Tyson Fury you're not just flicking that jab when you're putting anything you're doing yeah. you're you're 100% committed to it your your hands are low and slick but they move quick enough to be able never be in any real danger I don't believe even when you go up the levels uh, that I think you learn and you're willing to learn and stylistically when people think power aggression forcefulness they'll think oh yeah but that's at the cost of, of your boxing but you can box like fuck as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, like I've said, Mickey implemented a, a certain style in me that we we practiced for the years. That he never wanted me to be um an ordinary boxer. He never wants any of his box to be ordinary. But um, I was never gonna be an a, a ordinary boxer. He wanted me to be universal, where I could go forward and fight when I needed to, and then I could box when I needed to. Um, I remember there was a stage in my career where. I was just too aggressive. I I just went forward, throwing throwing too many big shots, um, and being way too aggressive. So Mickey said to me, "You will not box like that again. You will not just go forward. Um, from now on, you'll box in the back foot." And then for about ten, fifteen fights, all I did was box in the back foot and feint and counter punch. And Mickey went right now. You now you're too comfortable with um counter punching. I I need you to I need you to do both. I need you to go back to that aggressive boxer but also be a counter puncher so w- w- you're, you're going to be an aggressive counter puncher and 
I, that's what I become. I, I become a boxer that can go forward, go back. You said to say I've got fast hands, strong. I'm I'm strong. I've got fast feet. And one thing that um a lot of a lot of people don't realize and know about me is that I I adopt really really quickly to a fight. Um, in a fight I I can adopt very very quickly. It will take me no longer than a minute minute and a half to figure you out and and then implement a, a certain game plan to to um obviously beat you. Um, so. That's that. There's a lot of things that I I bring to the table, and, and as long as I stay stay dedicated and having a good authority as well, that you're pretty shit hot in Southpaw as well. <laughs> we haven't yeah, seen that yet. That's, that's something. Mickey, that's one thing. Mickey hated. That's one thing I'll say. He didn't teach me. Um, but even at that, whenever I did turn Southpaw, there's certain times that Mickey allowed me to. But uh, yeah. Um, do you know what? I feel a lot. I feel comfortable as a Southpaw. Um, Mickey always told me that he didn't like it, he didn't want me to turn Southpaw because he truly believed that you should only turn Southpaw um, when you've mastered Orthodox, which which is would never happen, you can never master Orthodox, but for me it's something that as a boxer, I, I didn't want to be one-dimensional, I, I wanted yeah. to be a universal boxer that Mickey made me and that was by turning Southpaw, turning Orthodox, being able to go back forward, side to side, fast hands and, and whatnot, so um, yeah, I actually feel a lot I feel comfortableer boxing Southpaw than I do Orthodox, and I'm a natural um, yeah. Orthodox. The last part of this journey, I suppose, the, up, the, that brings us right up to now, is you training in London. Being away from home for camp, uh, that has to get tough at times as well. Talk to me about your your current setup and your trainers, and and being away for those for those six and ten weeks. Obviously, I'm I'm, I'm based in London, uh, in Bromley, South London, um, and in the gym, it's called iBox Gym. Uh, trained by Eddie Lam, um, Al Smith, and, and Paul Taylor. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm based there. But in terms of, um, it is very tough. Um, training's hard. It's hard being away from your family and friends. Um, it's, it's mentally very, very tough for me. Um, at, at times. Um, because obviously, as well, I'm, I'm, I'm prone for battle and prone for a fight. So I have to be in tip-top shape. Um, but not only that, I'm not I'm not with my friends and family where I'm most comfortable. But that shows a lot of character, and and it and it it, it teaches me a lot in life. Um, so it, I understand that it is what it is, and I understand that in order me for me to be the first black um Irish person to win a world title, that I have to make these certain sacrifices. I have to take myself away from my friends and family. I have to um go across the water to improve um on my career and, imp- and improve in, in different ways so um it is all part of the plan and, uh, and all part of the journey that these are the sacrifices that i have to make yeah and and any um any interpretations or any hesitations or worries i suppose everyone's going to have a few on questions and stuff but about turning pro when you did was, was it just was did it take you long to make that decision or was it just obvious the obvious next stage yeah it did take me long um, i was um i was meant to turn pro I would say about ten months prior to that, um, Mickey Hawkins stopped me from turning pro. Uh, there, I had a couple offers on the table from different management groups and and stuff like that, and different promoters, and it just wasn't the right time. I thought it was the right time, um, but Mickey didn't think it was the right time, and and I didn't turn pro. Um, I'm thankful that I took his advice, and uh, and waited them them extra couple of months because I went on to. I went on to win an Arsena title. I went on to fight in the WSB and stuff like that. So 
there was a quite there was there was a couple things that were wary on my mind even at the time of turning pro um last August I I I didn't really know if it was the right decision but you can't be half hearted about certain things um it was an opportunity that I couldn't that I couldn't turn down and and um I'm I'm thankful that I I I listened to the advice of people that I got and and. I uh, turned pro at the right time for me. It was it was the right time. I did everything I needed to do in amateur boxing. Um, I achieved everything I wanted to achieve. Um, in in Irish boxing, I achieved everything I wanted to achieve from when national titles from from youth level straight up to to senior level, the highest the highest point in Irish boxing. So, um, it that made it a bit easier. But obviously, there was a couple things on my mind. Um, should I wait for Tokyo twenty twenty twenty? Um, is should I go across the water and, and train and stuff like that? But you're surrounded by people who are up to date with the modern sport, the modern game. Is there any one or two that you like rely on when you need to make a decision, or that you'd go to, or would you rather keep them under your hat? Um, there's, there's certain people like in terms of when I whenever I was turning pro. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Of course. Uh, like Mickey Hawkins. Is, there's no, there's no better man um, to get advice from from Mickey. I know this this uh, interview is meant to be about me, but I feel that <laughs> I, I feel that I I owe I owe Mickey a lot, and he he's taught me a lot in life. And for advice, um, Mickey was one of the people that I went to. There was a couple uh, professional boxers I had rung. Uh, I had rung Gary Colley at the time he was professional. Um, I had rung and I met up with. Um, with Stevie Ward and just ask them about the professional life and, and stuff like that and the, the, it's hard to say the immediate future there's a lot of talk of all sorts of fantasy fights and all sorts of everything but let's keep our feet firmly on the floor for a moment and, and the best case scenario I believe will be some behind closed doors fights over the next few weeks and months do you envisage yourself fighting in some of those um, behind closed doors fights? Ideally I wouldn't want to um, because I, I think um, the fans and the audience play a, a big part in in boxing and in and in in fighters uh, and in any sport. But if it has to be done, then yeah, hundred percent. Um, obviously, I have to be paid at the same time. Uh, because I I if I don't fight, I don't get paid. So um, I I want to be kept active and and progress my career. So if if having to fight behind closed doors is what's gonna um progress my career then yes I, I will but ideally I wouldn't want to and I gotta admit that was a at times tricky interview tricky enough some tough questions in there be it centred around race centred around his assault centred around the um, ups and downs and the highs and lows of, of boxing and everyday life so I want to say a huge thank you to Cueven for his time his patience and for um, we've kept in regular contact for the last while He's a talent that I believe goes to the very, very top of this sport. I believe he will win world titles. I believe he'll have all the success. And he's a wonderful, wonderful ambassador. He's honest, humble, hard-working fella. And I loved chatting to him and hearing the dichotomy, the little dynamic he has and that absolute love and respect with his coach, uh, Mickey Hawkins, whose ears I bet will be burning after that. And I hope his eyes are twinkling too with pride because he's got a very, very special little protege there on his hands who, as I said, promises to deliver some very special nights for Irish boxing and for himself indeed. I had hoped also to feature Weaving's manager promoter Francis Warren but it didn't work out times went against us this time and I will have him on in the future episodes. 
and watch out for the next day or so for a very special episode featuring Wayne McCullough and Dennis Hogan as we chat about their partnership and everything that's coming down the line for them. That's it for me and them until then. Stay safe, stay sane, stay well. <laughs>